Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Kevin Jackson, uh, USPTA South Carolina president, and um, he's also uh, at Camden Country Club um, there in Camden, South Carolina. Um, Kevin, thanks for being on the show. Sure, anytime. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about you. Where, where are you from originally? I'm originally from a small town in southeastern North Carolina called St. Paul's, which mm-hmm. is basically halfway between Fayetteville and Lumberton, North Carolina. Oh, okay. And so um, tell us a little bit about your journey as far as playing tennis. Did you start young or did you play other sports or how, how did that all get started? I didn't pick up tennis until I was uh, 15. I played uh, baseball, basketball. Um, a few other small sports because of the small hometown. Pretty much every every one of the players, guys and girls play. You know most of the junior varsity and varsity sports. You know growing up in a really tiny uh, high school, um, but picked up tennis at uh, 15, and then ended up dropping everything else um, for my junior senior year playing in high school, and then uh, went to Methodist University and got in the tennis management program, and then. Uh, wanted to continue uh, teaching tennis rather than go into kind of the, the business field when I graduated. That is super cool. I love that story. And I feel like we hear um, maybe less of this th- these days because kids start so young. But I also started, um, you know, late by today's standards. I didn't start playing tennis until I was 12, but I played everything in the world. Didn't get serious about tennis until I was almost 16. And you know, so so by by today's standards, that's pretty late. But um, so, what was the PTM program like? It was really. I had no intentions of of participating in the PTM program. I just got to Methodist, um, which was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which wasn't far from home. I wanted to stay uh, at a smaller school mm-hmm. and stay closer to to family. But uh, my first semester there, we had Teresa Worrell, who was the uh, tennis management director at the time, and. Um, I went ahead and met with her and, and got a little review of kind of what it was all about. And, and I was interested because I, I had strung rackets in high school. Um, I'd helped out with some summer camps and stuff. And I was like, I'm kind of interested in possibly, you know, teaching tennis. But the tennis management program was a real good direction where instead of just kind of, you know, seeing if it's something you may want to do, they give you really defined roles where you want to go into private, you know, country club you know, public facilities, resort management, even possibly getting more on the club manager side of things. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot of different defined pathways, and I really ended up enjoying it because over the four years there, you know, spending a summer working at, you know, a resort and spending a summer working at a country club, a summer working at a tennis camp, and, you know, kind of getting a feel for what direction you want to follow. And then basically one of the reasons I stuck with tennis management was it was 100% job placement. We knew as soon as we graduated, we'd absolutely have a job. We could begin our career. So I, I was really interested in, you know, that opportunity. Well, 100% job placement is pretty, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that is great. Now, um, how long have you been at Camden? I've been at Camden a little over uh, five and a half years. I took the job um, in October mm-hmm. 2012. So okay. I'll be coming up on my sixth year towards the end of this year. And um, tell us a little bit about your club. So, so what what's a day in the life uh, at Camden? <laughs> uh, 
Well, at Camden Country Club, it's a fairly small club. It's the smallest club I've I've worked at uh, mm-hmm. ever. Um, we only have uh, four courts there, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. a full-service country club, golf course, pool. I manage the aquatics, so I manage the pool, the swim team, lifeguards, oh, wow. okay. snack bar, um, everything in that side of it. But we have a really, really, really big, thriving academy junior program, which is something I've built from you know the first week I hit the ground there and you know we have somewhere between about 75 and 85 kids um, 40 to 50 of which are tournament players and we're home of which I'm just fortunate because of the young kids um, we're the three-time 10 and under state champions for the past three straight years and my first awesome (laughs) (laughs) my first 10 and under team that we won the state championship also last year won the 12s title so we won 10s and 12s last year oh, and nice. we've been to rome the last three years for southern so we're we're big proponents of oh, rogie we're big proponents it, of jpt yeah, yeah um so the junior program and, and everything there is good um i have kind of two different roles at the club i work for the club but currently right now i'm an advisor for the city of camden mm-hmm. um i run seven big usta tournaments a year and I met with the city and the mayor and city council four or five years ago, and we discussed building a future tennis center, which opened in February here in Camden. They opened a 16-court tennis facility with 12 courts pickleball, um, basically for us to run big junior events out of, but also to host. Now we're hosting this year and next year the uh, South Carolina JTT State Championship. So oh, cool. okay. there's a tennis center. I was able to get us a good director uh, to manage the facility. So I am basically a advisor, counselor. I'm going to help hire mm-hmm. them a pro over the next month or two. Um, so I've kind of got two different jobs technically right at the moment. Wow. Well, that's uh, you're busy. <laughs> wow. Well, that is awesome. Um, so I, I, I'm so curious because I think it, it, you know, obviously takes a lot of drive, a lot of initiative to go uh, to the city council, meet with people at the city and, um, so what, what, how did you know how to do that? Was that part of tennis management or did you just sort of feel your way through it? I mean, what was that process like? It, it actually, it was pretty new to me ultimately. Um, when I first got to, uh, Camden, one of our club members, uh, Joe Deloach, who works for Merrill Lynch, mm-hmm. um, was a big tennis player said that back in the eighties, there was a real big tournament that the city held for both kids and adults. And, you know, we wanted to know if that'd be something we could get going again and, re, you know, reinvigorate the city and get the city behind tennis mm-hmm. like it was in the 80s. So I sat down with him and one of our other club members who is on city council. And we just kind of discussed, you know, if we decide to start, if the city decided to back, you know, junior tournaments or adult tournaments, would it bring people to the city? And if it did, you know, what, what would it cause? So we started discussing as our tournaments grew each year, we started discussing we can't go any further. We can't get anything bigger. We can't bring any more people in because we don't have enough courts. Where do we go from here? So we met with the mayor, city council, everyone, and you know they discussed either fixing the course we have, building some additional courts, or or what's the right path. And you know I kind of brought up a few different facilities around the southeast where you know they build 16, 20, 30, 40 courts, and the whole goal of it is to bring in big state championships or junior events and, and things like that. So the city basically invested in tennis, which I'm very happy about. That's fantastic. Um, so they built a $2.5 million tennis center um, with, you know, clubhouse and, and everything else. And, 
you know, that's wonderful. And now we're trying to discuss how do we go further. So mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at building even more courts because they know now that they need, you know, 35 or 40 courts if they want to get to the next level of wow. reaching out and bidding on, you know, state or southern sectional type championships. That's that's that is so cool that they're they're so invested and interested in in growing the tennis community there. I mean, so so you know, fantastic job. Wow, that's awesome, Kevin. <laughs> so now from from playing or coaching or all these things that you're involved with, um, do you have a, a favorite tennis memory? <laughs> um, for me, um, spending you know almost ten years, ten eleven years in Atlanta, you know. Uh, there's too many to, to, to find one sure, specific, sure, but, sure. but, but spending a lot of time at, at, at Dunwoody country club, working for both uh, Mark Mann and, and Dave Dvorak and also, you know, working with uh, some younger assistant pros who are all, you know, almost all of them now are directors of tennis like Ben Hesley and Christian Lopez and others, uh, you know, yeah, there's so many that. good memories <laughs> of, you know, the camaraderie we have in Atlanta pros, you know, GPTA and other organizations getting together breaking bread, sharing ideas, things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. which which isn't as easy in other states that I've worked at, but it's obviously very, very easy, like in Georgia and Alabama and a few other places. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just that overall camaraderie of, you know, pros, it's not like rival clubs. It's not like rival right. clientele. Mm-hmm. You, you just literally go, hey, we're on the same team. We're on the same side. And what we really want to do is just, are we making sure that we're charging the right amount? Are we providing the right service? And, and being able to work with everybody uh, so closely is, is something that I miss a little bit from uh, Atlanta, but some of the best memories are, are those. Oh, that that's, that's great. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I was briefly in Atlanta and, you know, had the privilege to, to meet those, those guys. And no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, the relationships and the business are, are sort of what, what, what make all the memories, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, now um, yeah, you've done so much um, already, but, do you have um, something that you're most proud of? For me, I'm such a big proponent of Rogi mm-hmm. um, and, and, and the pathway with our younger program. Um, I'm really just more excited about and, and proud about the number of kids that we've introduced tennis to. I mean, it's nice having a competitive junior program, but our largest program we have at the club is our three to five-year-olds, and it's the one that we – put the most energy and time into so mm-hmm. for me I'm always very 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 proud of our like every year in December we do an awards banquet at the club for the junior program mm-hmm. and being able to do <clears throat> and give things to our three four and five year olds but to celebrate them you know starting their pathway and journey into tennis always I'm very very happy about that I mean um, coaching tennis a pretty long time you know it's nice when you have a section rank kid when a, you know, a sectional tournament or something like that. And that's, that's nice. And they put in a lot of effort and energy, but for me, I'm really excited when, you know, a four or five year old tell their mom and dad, like, I just want to play tennis. Like that's my thing now. That's what I want to do um, because of how much fun they have. So for me, it's, it's really getting the hook into uh, our red ball players and getting them to, to really fall in love with tennis. That's, that's generally when I'm the happiest at my job. Oh my goodness. I, 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 I just, I love that so much. <laughs> um, cause I, uh, I'm, uh, you know, also a huge fan of, of the red, orange and green, um, pathway. And, um, it's funny. I have some great memories of, uh, I took, and, uh, two eight and under teams to our JTT state championship. 
And I got to tell you, of, of all the teams that I've taken to state championships, this was a few years ago, and it poured down rain. I mean, I felt so bad for the tournament director at the time. I mean, they ended up moving us into a gym at like a YMCA down the street, and we're trying to get these eight and under <laughs> – I'm like putting tape down for 36-foot courts, and you know. But, I mean, these kids – I've never seen – there are so many people in the stands. I'm like, I went through my entire junior career. There's more people here for this eight and under match than I ever, than I ever played in front of. But the kids, you know, when they were playing doubles, they were like, you know, chest bumping and, you know, high-fiving. They were so into it. And, I mean, it just it, – it makes me emotional still thinking about it. I mean, but, again, it, it goes back to what you're saying. I mean, when you can get a kid to fall in love with tennis at that age, you know, you've got them for life, you know, really. Absolutely. Even even if they leave the game for a little bit, they you know most most of the time come back. Um, so that that is huge. Uh, now, um, are you superstitious? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you have uh, rituals that you uh, try to instill in your players? Because um, rituals are different from different from superstitions. But um, sure, yeah, we have we we try to keep with our group. We do everything sort of game-based, live, situational play. We'd like our kids mm. to be loose, free, as mm. we, we mm. remind them all the time in the academy. So we don't get into too many real in-depth rituals. I, I've got a handful of kids that like to, to bounce the ball between their legs, like Isner and a couple of things oh, like man. that. Um, <laughs> so we, we give them the freedom to do that to a certain degree. But uh, for, for us, a lot of our rituals are just – they're breathing, trying to stay focused, yes, you know, yes. trying to, trying to basically, um, which we have great parents at, at Camden, but we, you know, I actually teach our kids that, you know, you got to be able to shut down everything on the outside of the fences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so take a moment, take a few deep breaths, but we don't get too set in very formal rituals. And, uh, we actually joke about it a little bit with, with sort of the, uh, all the idiosyncrasies with Rafa and Sharapova and others. <laughs> right, we, yes. we, we pick on that with the kids and we kind of go, <laughs> We don't want to go that far with it, but if you could get into a little bit of a habit so that you feel like you're doing the same thing each time, that's fine. Um, but I also don't want them to be like, you know, Djokovic was in his early career and bouncing the ball 27 times yeah. before they serve. So <laughs> that was we, we try to we try to manage it a little bit with with uh, some some minor rituals, but really just trying to stay relaxed. No, I think that that's so important. I mean, it's so key, and it goes to the importance of you know, it's sort of the mental and emotional, emotional side of it. I mean, you, cause you can be physically prepared, um, but having those rituals to be able to stay calm and in the moment, um, are huge. Um, is there something you do in every practice? Well, for us, we do a thing before every practice begins and at the end of every practice, um, where we generally try to remind our, you know, academy players that, they need to respect one another, respect the competition, respect their opponents. Um, basically, at every single drill we do, every single game we do, everything we do for the entire time, every round, every time we move, they're required to shake hands. Um, mm-hmm. They're required to go up to the net and say, nice job, good work, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just are, they just do it instinctively. We don't have to tell them anymore. And at the end of every practice, we basically will, will end up with some sort of team-building exercise where – we just basically remind them, some of you like each other, some of you don't, but for this, this time in between the fences, you are all, the, all family, and you're going to you know, act accordingly in that regard because we want you guys to have that respect for one another, um, and, and I want you to do that 
in the worst scenarios with the worst opponents ever, I want you to still have that level of kind of class and professionalism. So we, we drill home the behavior side of things a little bit and, and how they represent the club and the staff and their parents and, and their grandparents. And, um, you know, we, we would love for them to be model citizens first rather than whether they're going to be sexually ranked is kind of how we address mm -hmm. them just about every time we, we kick off a class and end the class. That is so important, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say those things, and there's so many great pros that, you know, really are proponents of, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching the child first, or your character first, you know, I mean, you know, the importance of being a good person before being a great tennis player, or whatever, whatever the case may be, but, um, you know, because, you know, I've, I've always been a big fan of the Olympics, I love the Olympics, and I, I can't imagine what it would feel like, I mean, as a little kid, I used to imagine myself, like, with USA, you know, the cool USA jackets, and the warm-ups, and, you know, <laughs> it's like, what would that be like, yeah, so I try to make it a big deal for the kids, like you were saying, you know, you're representing your club or you're representing your state. If you get to go to sectionals, you're representing your team. And and it's like you said, I think it's really important to address. I think it's really cool that you brought it up that you might not like everybody on your team. You might not like everybody that you play. <laughs> you know, but it's, that's just one of those things that you, that you have to deal with and move on but still maintain your, your level of, of respect and uh, that's, those are such important things that are just totally outside the lines, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So you've, you've been in the Southern section, uh, for, for a long time now. <laughs> As have I. Um, so what, what do you think we can continue to do to, to grow tennis, not necessarily just in, in the Southern section, but, but just in general, um, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, at least from the the perspective that I see with today's tennis player, both both junior and adult, and and seeing what it competes for everybody's time, and seeing how everything is getting condensed and shorter and being pulled in every possible direction, um, there's more competition to starting tennis now than ever before. Um, so for us, I think trying to get you know, as many kids involved as possible at a, at a much earlier age. We start at age three, so we try to get them started as early as possible mm -hmm. um, because a lot of those other sports don't start at age three. Right. So if we can get in early and get them, and then twofold for us, we basically treat every single three- or four-year-old as three people. We get the kid playing, and then I generally try to get the mom and dad playing, um, not even necessarily for lessons or clinics or anything like that, but just – so there's a family component, so it's something that they might stick with as a group, you know, throughout their entire life. Um, you know, seeing all the different competition, it, it's 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 dog eat dog at this stage, and it's very very difficult. So you know, we we try to make sure we teach everybody that you can play tennis passively in the background. You can be a basketball player and play tennis. You can be mm -hmm. football and play tennis, um, and you can be uh, you know sort of a seasonal athlete in two or three sports, but you'll always play tennis is kind of the approach we take. Mm -hmm, Cause mm -hmm. I think at this stage, if we don't get them locked in very, very early, they'll have played, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 things by the time they're nine or 10. Mm -hmm. And then we're not only trying to win them in tennis, we're having to compete against too many other different sports. Right. So we just try to start as early as humanly possible. Uh, we try to win the kid over first and then try to go passively after the parents later we do a little parent-child kind of club championship every year mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. what we really are trying to do is to get moms and dads who I know 
never play, would never play league or tournament, but they still come out and do that and they grab a rack and they participate uh, to get them just on the court. So that's, you know, we got a little little different approach. We don't go after them like you need to join and get on a league team or you need to get in and mm-hmm. try to start mm-hmm. playing, you know, tournaments. We just want to get them on the court with their kids as kind of the mechanism to lock them in. Oh, that is awesome. And you know, you know who, who would love that? Our, our mutual friend, Kevin Theos, who is a huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge fan of family tennis. And um, so I love to hear what you're doing to promote family tennis in, in South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I, I think you're absolutely right as far as, you know, if you can get the parents involved versus pushing them away, um, it's huge to keep keep the kid involved and to get the parents involved. And like you said, you know, in a very low-pressure environment, you're not trying to get them to sign up for a team immediately because, you know, again, there's, there's so many – demands on our time <laughs> you know oh, so, so so if you if you can if you know if you can just keep it relaxed keep it fun make it a family activity um uh, there's so many so many good things about that all the way around um how how has your coaching style evolved it's really evolved over the past uh about seven or eight years kind of morphing from what most uh, tennis pros I know in the South had done for um, a long time, which is mm-hmm. static, you know, de- you know, everyone's in a line, dead ball. It's all about <laughs> technique. It's all about, mm-hmm. you know, each shot being perfect mm-hmm. and then trying to, to, to evolve a little bit into everything needs to be, you know, you play tennis to learn tennis and going into uh, everything being live ball, game-based, um, the, the players feeding each other, me walking around versus being on one side, you know, using the ball machine so I can be within inches of the player to try to, you know, give them feedback and, and, and make, you know, necessary corrections. That's definitely not how I started, you, you know, my first, you know, seven or eight years in the mm-hmm. tennis industry. But today I'm pretty excited because, you know, we – I don't do dead ball feeding. And I know that mm-hmm. there's people that have made this same evolution that probably still do and feel like you need to do some technical stuff. But I, I do not. I do not do dead ball. I don't mm-hmm. do any line. Mm-hmm. Everything we do, every program you see is kids being able to grab tennis balls and immediately start point play or rally play or drill play with each other um, constantly so that I can and give feedback and move around. And that's that was hard to do, you know, eight or nine years ago when mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. a lot of the tennis pros feel like, you know, you're paying me for how many words I say, you're paying me for how much instruction I give you mm-hmm. um, versus let's just develop players and get as many people playing as quickly as humanly possible because if they are playing, then they're having fun and they'll want to play more uh, versus teaching kids for four months and saying, well, after four or five months, we might begin to play against another kid. Um, that's it. That's really the, my evolution. Uh, well, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm very familiar with that evolution. <laughs> that's sort of <laughs> a, a similar evolution I went into. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, when I first started, there wasn't red, orange, and green, and and so yeah, you put everybody in two lines. Maybe you know I would throw down a little you know throw down line or throw down poly spot or whatever it was, and line everybody up and stand next to the cart and feed balls and you know. And at some point, you go, wait a minute, this doesn't actually look like tennis. This is not what the game looks like. 
And um, so, you know, making the move towards game-based, you know, getting the kids active from the minute they get out there because they want to play. They want to play the game. That's why they're there. They want to learn to play tennis, not stand in line and hit one ball and rotate out the end to the other line. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, you know, another really important point that you brought up with, with the words that you say, you know, how many words you say. Um, have, you, have you read The Inner Game of Tennis? The, the Tim Galloway book, yeah. you know, I think it's that book that he talks about like saying less or maybe not saying much at all. And I think, I think it's right. that book. It's been a while since I've read it. I might need to reread that one, but it was one of those books like that, that, that really challenged me to make that kind of change of going, wait a minute, why, I am totally over coaching. You know, as a young coach, it was like, I felt like I needed to be like, la, 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 you know, <laughs> like constant feedback. I'm going to tell you 15,000 things, you know, and, and I really read that book and, you know, I've been fortunate to be around some good people. And then it's like, you know, the less you say, the better. It is sort of where I am now <laughs> in Absolutely. some ways, in some ways. Um, <laughs> now along, along those lines, as far as growing tennis, which, you know, with the family aspect and, and, you know, getting them to fall in love young. I mean, I, I just, that's music to my ears, but how do we become sort of, how do we, uh, on the other side of the coin, maybe, how do we become more competitive, um, sectionally or nationally? It's definitely a challenge that I think all the pros in, in our region, especially, and if not nationwide, are, are starting to view. Because we used to sell the, kind of the, the roguey pathway a few years back when we were still trying to, to get people to quit resisting mm -hmm. that change as, you know, getting more kids into tennis and more kids playing is going to be our best chance to get, you know, the next great American, you know, superstar right, and right. you know that that process may or may not happen because that's a volume game you're trying mm -hmm. to get more people playing mm -hmm. and then if more people are playing the odds could go up that you'll have you know the next chain Agassi Sampras and, and so on and so forth mm -hmm. but it hasn't translated yet so you know there's still some some anti-pathway groups that that still go you know Kids got to specialize. They got to play one sport. <laughs> Kids in Europe and South America, they only play soccer, tennis. So they have less sports. And there's probably some truth to a certain degree that if over eight or ten years in your youth you only play two sports, you're probably going to be better than if you play 12 sports like you do in the United States. But, you know, at least from a country come perspective, and I could say even from like a tennis center perspective, it's hard to teach or, or get parents of seven and eight-year-olds to talk about how, you know, we're doing this and you need to really just specialize in one sport because your chance might play at the U.S. Open when we know that's probably realistically not the case most of the time. So it's it's going to be tough, you know, for for developing players. Rogi's fantastic. Mm -hmm. More people in mm -hmm. tennis, more people growing up to play tennis, I think it's great. Will it translate to more Isners and others? I, you know, I don't know. Um, but it could at least at the very minimum translate to at least more collegiate players being mm -hmm. from the United States going and getting college scholarships in the United States. So, you know, uh, that's the, 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 tough, the tough conundrum basically is, is how do we get, you know, 10 or 12 more, you know, advanced world-class type juniors coming around um, that could be the next, you know, U.S. Open champions. That it's still too soon to tell. Right. I know there's people talking about some of the kids now that are that have went to college that that did actually grow up in rogie or at least mm -hmm. be in that early stages of quick start. Um, but for us, you know, we're still waiting. My first group of kids that are in the pathway are mostly 12 and 13, so we're still four years out from college visits and stuff like that. But 
Um, we, I believe in the volume method, you know, more kids playing with Rogi, even though I know there's detractors that aren't, you know, that say a seven-year-old could be awesome with a yellow ball, which is fine. <laughs> but um, I, I'm not necessarily as worried about that kid. I'm much more worried about the hundreds that – that quit that around because yeah, 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 that get yeah. possibly quit if they didn't have some way to compete. Right. So, right. you know, I, I'd much rather maybe not, maybe alienate one kid every few years in my program that feels like they're maybe too good for the red, orange, green, and they want to just be the yellow as quick as possible versus, you know, losing, you know, a dozen kids that just say, this is too hard for me. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've been here six years. We've had, three kids in six years that aren't currently playing tennis that started mm-hmm. with me and we still have, you know, 70 or 80 that, that are still here. So I, you know, our retention rate's good. It's not because of me. It's probably mostly because of the pathway because it just makes sense. Oh, wow. That, that, well, that is a testament in and of itself. I mean, for sure. Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I said, I love the red, orange and green balls. And even though there is still pushback, pushback, we are still fighting that battle in some areas. Um, you know, but, but again, having a, a child be able to play and have success and develop the skills. And I mean, there's just so many good things that, that you know, that I don't understand that, you know, I think that one of my favorite, uh, uh, things and I think that the USTA did really well, um, even though they changed the name like a hundred times. But um, you know the tagline that it's not a race to the yellow ball. <laughs> you know I'm right. like, I, I do like that. I do like that. Yes, <laughs> it is not a race to the yellow ball. <laughs> um, so what uh, what qualities make a great coach? For me, as we try to instill in our assistants, is you know really trying to make sure that you're, you know, compassionate to the kids and the parents and that we understand mm-hmm. that we use the line basically there that I got from Dave Dvorak a long time ago, which was mm-hmm. they're trying to give us their money. So if they're trying to give us their money, we need to make sure that we're, you know, empathetic to the day-to-day challenges of the kids and the adults and, and the parents. So for us, you know, we even met this morning with, with my staff and we were talking about, you know, trying to make sure that we are connecting with the families and they understand that we care, that we really care about who they are um, and what they do. One of the things that my staff and myself and the rest of our staff ask at every single lesson, you know, you know, how was school today? What do you have for lunch? You know, do you have homework? You know, how how's school mm-hmm. going? You know, what's going on in your life? We do that for both kids and adults. And, you know, the the kids and the adults, they go away from that, like, coach actually cares coach isn't here just collecting a paycheck and and just there to feed balls so we try to make sure we come across that way to to everybody so that they understand you know and and it's twofold we do care Mm -hmm. that's why we Mm -hmm. do it but Mm -hmm. we also talk about how that helps you retain your clientele and that you know it makes it harder for someone to go I want to play something else next season. I might take a break from tennis. They don't want to do that as, as, as often because they know that when they go and they do gymnastics or travel softball or, or, or baseball or something else, that maybe they don't have that personal touch. So mm-hmm. they stick with us. Or if they even do play multiple sports, they always come back to us. Oh, I th- you know, again, very well said. Um, so thank you for that. And I think that that goes back to something that you touched on earlier um, as far as, you know, parent education without being overwhelming, you know, you want to inform, but you don't want to overwhelm, 
you know, because again, you know, if somebody brings their seven-year-old out and they're probably figuring out how to, you know, register for, you know, elementary school <laughs> or something, right. you know, and you're talking about the 10-year program for them to play in college and it's like, whoa, we're, we're trying to work out the lunch program at school, you know, <laughs> you know, exactly. so, so, so I think, I think, you know, having the family involved, you know, like you said, compassion, I love that word, you know, showing that you care. Um, you know, and educating, you know, but again, without, without overwhelming, but at the same time, you know, I've, I've had people, you know, there's one story that always comes to my mind. This was, um, quite a few years ago now, but this mom came up to me and her child was, uh, 14 and, um, beginner, 14 year old beginner, never played tennis, had played some other sports, nice family, good athletic kid. She was, and I said, you know, well, what are your goals? You know, what do you, what do you think you want to do? Do you just want to learn tennis? You know, what, what's, you know, do you want to make the school team? You know, what, what, what are, what are we talking about here? And, and she said, and again, this is a 14 year old beginner. And she said, oh no, he wants to play for Alabama. And, <laughs> and I just kind of went, <laughs> uh, you can play for a school in Alabama. <laughs> I don't know if you can play for Alabama. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, it's, it's the, you know, so I think it's just really important to, to educate people. So, um, you know, educating parents is huge, but with, with that in mind, um, you, I know, you know, because of your involvement, um, with the USPTA, uh, how do you feel about continuing education? For me, I mean, it, the making mandatory education, you know, didn't come fast enough. Uh, and, you know, would love to see the requirements be, you know, even higher, which I know is tough for, I have friends that are, they're pros and, and I know that, that they probably disagree with me to a certain degree on that, but, you know, it should be even higher. It should be tougher. Um, I'm a USPTA tester, you know, I'd love for the test to be tougher as well. Um, but, um, you know, I think when you look at other countries and you see what it takes to become a tennis professional, you know, we're definitely, we're definitely lacking as far as that comparison. So, you know, and making it, making it tougher, I know won't bring as many people under the tent, but it will make the quality higher. And I think if mm -hmm. the quality of people becoming tennis professionals is higher, then we'll have a better product. So it, it's a double-edged sword. I understand that there's still clubs that would hire pros that aren't certified and they don't look at, you know, certifications and things of that nature. I know with CMAA, we work with them as much as we can, but, you know, I know for a fact that if I left my club, um, they would, you know, try to find another pro, and I don't mm -hmm. think it would be the first thing on their list on whether they're USPTA, PTR, what level they are. Mm -hmm. You know, they would just try to find someone they thought that could do a good job. Mm -hmm. um, but the education's got to, the, the requirements have to get higher. I mean, it has to be, yep. you know, much, much higher. Now, I do love, like, I did uh, a lot of the, the TIA uh, summer series last year, the, the oh, webinars, mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. I did a whole bunch of those. I know, I know we do those as well, USPTA. Um, but you know, even things like that, I mean, those are so simple. I mean, at a minimum, every pro USPTA pro should have to do eight to 10 of those a year period. Even if you never went to a convention, you should always have to do a certain amount of those. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. for me, I wish it was higher. I know that they may work towards that in the future, but it's something that, uh, they want the product to get better. You've got to, to make the, the certification and the education uh, more strenuous. 
Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I love technology. I love, you know, what we can do with, you know, shooting a great video on your phone or, and you can put it out there, you know, on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, Instagram, whatever it might be. And you're social with it and, you know, people can see it and comment and however good or bad that might be. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, so, so I think that there's, you know, I love the idea that, you know, the webinar series and I, I certainly jump on those, um, when I, when I can. And, um, you know, so I, I love that. I love how accessible that makes it. Um, you know, so, so I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of all that, that technology allows people to do for education. Um, but I, I do, I have to say that I don't think there's any substitute for the traditional in-person, <laughs> the, the in-person workshops and conventions. Um, Absolutely. You know, so I, as much as I love technology, obviously it almost hurts me to say it, but it's like, you know, I don't ever want that to take the place of, of what, you know, physically being on the court you know, running through drills with people, um, you know, or, you know, just hanging out and meeting people, you know, networking, you know, when, at the end of the day or, you know, whatever it might be. I, I, I just, I can't say enough about how important it is to, to get to those meetings in person and make those connections. And, but I completely agree with you that, yeah, I mean, if you're not jumping on these webinars, I mean, the, the knowledge that the, some of these huge industry leaders are bringing, I mean, it's just you're missing out if you're not getting on those. I mean, the webinars are fabulous, um, but you gotta you gotta go to the workshops too. Yeah, <laughs> in my in my Absolutely. opinion, in my in my humble opinion here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so you you've already mentioned some some great people like uh, Christian Lopez and Dave Dvorak and and a few others. Um, you know, there's a difference between a, a hero and a mentor. They're not the same thing. But um, who who do you consider uh, mentors? For me, I was pretty fortunate in coming into the tennis industry, especially when I moved to Atlanta, getting hired by, you know, Mark McMahon and, and Mark Packner, um, and then, you know, having the the luxury and kind of the luck and, and Dave coming over to be the director of tennis right after Mark uh, retired and having Dave and Mark as, as, you know, mentors for me, you know, is, has been tremendous. And then really for me, the one that, that I always – lean on the most so that, that I'd always reach out to a lot was Tommy Wade who oh, got me yeah. into testing and you know it was always nice and, and Fred Burdick's great you know I mean it's always great when I can sit down with him at, at, a, at a workshop or convention and, and spend some time with him but you know it's it's bits and pieces from everybody you know I got a little bit of you know my personality as a tennis director now I'm a, a little bit like Mark and I'm a little bit like Dave and you know I'm a little bit like Tommy and, and things like that and and it it's those guys that, you know, really, you know, got me to where I am today um, with kind of my philosophies and, and, and how to deal with people and how to work at clubs and, and even really with testing with Tommy and, then you know, with Fred, you know, it's, you know, I have a contract with my country club and 90% and of my contract, the way it's written is because of Fred, because mm. of Fred's philosophies on you must have a contract and it needs right. to be, you know, ironclad and these are the things that you must have and if you can't get those don't go work there i mean he was so adamant when i was young you know about these you know those things that just all those different little bits and pieces 
you know, put me to where I am today. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I got a chance to work, to, to work with all of them and, and spend some time with them because, uh, you know, it, it, it's invaluable what you can get from the guys that have been in the industry for 25, 30, 45 years. Um, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's remarkable to be able to, to, to pick their brains and, and learn from them. Wow. That's again, so well said, Kevin, thank you. Um, so with that in mind, um, do you have an idea or, or think about what you want your legacy to be? I, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I looked initially at, at teaching tennis as, you know, it was a job. I was glad to be able to graduate and have a job, make a living. Uh, um, and as I've gotten older, you know, it's, it's been less about making that living and, and, you know, what large club I can work at or how much money I can make. And I've, you know, the last, you know, seven or eight years have been more about trying to find quality of life and trying to find some balance. But, you know, at this stage, you know, I would just love to know that I introduced tennis to, to thousands of people. I'd love for most of them to still be playing tennis long after I'm gone, um, which would make me really, really happy. You know, it, it feels great to have kids that I've coached that have gotten college scholarships. It feels great to, you know, have coached men and women who've won adult state championships or sectionals and things like that. But, you know, being a country club pro my entire career, you know, I, I really would just love for, you know, when it's all said and done and I'm not teaching anymore, just to be like, you know, this pro, he was, he really cared about us. He was great. You know, uh, you know, we grew up with him playing tennis. Our kids grew up with him playing tennis and he just really had a passion about teaching, but just also cared about us. Um, which, you know, I would hope that that's how I come off to most everybody that I'm around, but that's really what I'd like them to remember. It's, you know, it's not numbers or, you know, how much I could have made or how many people I taught just that I cared about what I did would be most important to me. Yep. Yeah, I, I, there's a, I, think, I actually think it's a Bible verse, but um, that, you know, says, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I think, you know, when I, when I, you know, have no idea when the end of my career is going to be good gracious, never. <laughs> What's <laughs> retirement? But, you know, at the end, I would hope that, that, you know, you know, well, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, I would, I would like to hear those words. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well, Kevin, do you have, this has been such a great, such a great show. Um, do you have any, any words that you want to say? Any, any parting thoughts? Um, something that we didn't touch on? <laughs> the, uh, no, I mean, I think we covered a lot. It was, it was definitely enjoyable. I, I appreciate you taking time out and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can do more of these in the future. That'd be yeah, a good way to. for, yeah, uh, for everybody to, uh, you know, hear from all the pros in our, in our area, in our region. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, we can idea share and, and network and everything else. So it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I will, I will see you soon. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> see you tomorrow. USPTA, I appreciate it. USPTA Southern Convention in Atlanta tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Absolutely. Right. I will be leaving bright and early. So yeah, I'll see too. you and everyone else tomorrow. <laughs> yep. All right. Thanks, all right. Kevin. Have a good day. <laughs> right, you too. Bye-bye.